Oh, it was a chilly one, but plenty going on on your radio today. This is Playback Daily. I'm Carol, past the hot water bottle, Moran, and here's what you might have missed. So, yes. so you're his yes. plus one, Dervla? I am his plus one, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty magical. Yes. Yeah. Uh, a person who was about to put 60,000 euros uh, out of a pension uh, they had into, a, into a, one of these dodgy investments. The bank thought that was an unusually high, big transaction, contacted them and, and some investigation was done and they discovered, no, no, this is just a scam, it's a fake, don't do it, do not put that money in there. She has a whole chapter about the way animals have to be treated in the making of movies. If you, if someone orders 25,000 cockroaches off you for a movie, you better be sure you get 25,000 cockroaches back. And we'll start in the afternoon. And Joe Duffy was talking Oscars, but not for Cocaine Bear, filmed in County Wicklow and panned by the critics. OK, you're going to hear movies, movies, movies all weekend about the Banshee of Inishir and somewhere everywhere, but not whatever that other uh, awful Korean movie is called, which apparently is going, according to the British newspaper, is going to win absolutely everything in the Banshee of Inishir and is going to walk away maybe with one... Oscar, uh, but not uh, the numbers that we hoped for, which is a pity. But there's another movie that was made completely, totally, absolutely in Ireland that people are talking about at the minute now. A lot of people, including Stephen, who contacted us, said it was the greatest load of cobblers he's ever seen. It was made completely, totally, absolutely in County Wicklow, and it's called Cocaine Bear. And this is an example. This is a trailer. Cocaine fell from the sky this morning. There's more of this out there. They dumped it somewhere. A lot of cocaine was lost. I need you to go and get it. No, 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 don't leave that, don't leave that. Let's see what kind of effect that has on it. The bear. It did cocaine. And that's... That's the bear. That's the, the trailer, one of the trailers. Uh, there's a longer trailer, but there's so many expletives. And it. basically the trope is that uh, somebody jumps out of a plane that's been smuggling cocaine. Uh, he is a haversack uh, or a super value bag or whatever, full of uh, slabs of cocaine. He uh, he dies in the fall and the super value bag bursts out all over the Wicklow Mountains and a uh, bear comes up. Big bear, big bear. Uh, Pablo Escobar comes up and he starts eating, he starts eating the slabs of cocaine and basically he goes absolutely, totally, completely crazy and starts chasing everyone, including the late Ray Liotta. You know, remember Ray Liotta from uh, Goodfellas? It's the last movie that he completed. But apparently the Irish taxpayer, and remember you would have heard the Minister of Catherine Martin on this morning out in LA with the rest of whoever's out in LA uh, for, for the Oscars saying that she's out there to remind filmmakers of the incredible tax breaks you can get um, for making movies in Ireland. And even though Cocaine Bear uh, is um, set, it's not set in Ireland, it's set in America, but made completely in Ireland. Um, And they got uh, tens of millions, apparently, in tax breaks from the Irish taxpayer. And that's how they made it here. But as uh, one of our listeners says, Cocaine Bear is the greatest load of cobblers I've ever seen. I felt like asking the ushers the ushers anymore in cinemas. The ushers and the usherettes, as they used to call them, to get his money back. It's so bad. Um, now, uh, in the trailer there, what you would not have seen, but it, there are uh, animals in the trailer and birds, including butterflies. And Ed Drew is in Kilmacanog. And you'll see the sign if you're ever driving uh, south on the N11. And it's Copswood Avery's. Ed, good afternoon. 
Good afternoon, Joe. How are you? Good. Have had you any hand actor part in the making of Cocaine Bear? A minute little part. We supplied them with 10 or 12 sheep that were in the back of a, an American pickup jeep down at Jack White for literally an hour or two. So that, I can say that's my only part I had involved in that making of the movie and I haven't seen the movie yet. And were any sheep harmed in the making of the movie? Not in the slightest. No, no. It was a, a lovely summer's day and uh, we walked them from the trailer straight into the back of a, an open back like a big old 1960s Ford pickup and uh, we had creels around the side of it. All health and safety, and they did one shot. It was a one shot wonder. Normally, you have to do a lot of takes, but a one okay. shot wonder. And we walked away half an hour later, put them back in the trailer, and home we went. And Ed, was Cocaine Bear one? When was it filmed in Wicklow? Uh, I think summer, not summer, not that summer, the summer before. Okay. And was it a big operation? You know, Joe, I can't really comment too much about it because um, I, I'm working on the movies now 20 odd years, but it was literally, we worked on it for one one morning. Okay. So, but uh, yeah, there was a lot of crew that I all know because we all know each other over the years, you know, the film, the special effects. Uh, well, the bear, the, the, I don't know whether people can look at the, the trailer now, it's on YouTube, um, but the bear looks pretty, pretty impressive. Yeah, I've heard a report that it's really good uh, CGI stuff, that it's really okay. amazing. Well, yeah. OK, so, by the way, I'll come back to you in a sec because I was reading a book the other day. It's called On Animals by Susan Orlean. And she has a whole chapter about the way animals have to be treated in the making of movies. And basically, if you arrive, if, you, if someone orders 25,000 cockroaches off you for a movie and you deliver 25,000 cockroaches to the movie, you better be, you better be sure you get 25,000 cockroaches back or else you could end up in court for animal cruelty. And then Liam called Joe about his daughter Roisin's work on Cocaine Bear. My daughter Roisin McGowan, she's uh, 24 now. She's uh, a graduate of IADT oh, down in Dunleary. Brilliant college, And yeah. she, she, did, she did her graduate in dress design. Super. And uh, she, one of the, uh, I think it was the second movie she worked on was uh, Cocaine Bear, and she was delighted. Yeah, uh, of course, yeah. It was it was uh, a great eye opener, a great experience for her. She meeting all sorts of new people in that, and also in in the work that she had wanted to do all along, which was film industry. So, how long was she working on it for? I think she had a, about a six to eight week part in brilliant, it. Um, brilliant, Yeah. And she was also, uh, as far as I know, she was involved in making the uh, prosthetics for oh, the that film. Was, oh, that's been mentioned by Roddy. The bear comes along, obviously. He's and out of his head on cocaine. Rips, rips limb <laughs> from limb. <laughs> and your daughter made the limbs that flew up in well, the air. I'm not sure if she made them, Joe, but okay. she, I, I saw a photograph well, she had, of she, them. She had a hand in it. She Absolutely, yes, she did. Yeah, she had a hand in it. And, <laughs> and she uh, went out in a lane to get that job. <laughs> <She's>, <laughs> oh, my goodness, Joe. <laughs> no, she's actually listening to us here right well, now in, in her apartment. So, hi, Roisin. Hi, Roisin. And has Roisin got much work apart from that? Yeah, oh yes, she's most likely uh, she's fully employed most of the time, but she does have uh, periods where, she, uh, as the actress say, she's resting. You know. Yeah, but uh, but uh, is the movie she getting jobs in in Ireland or she travels? Uh, she gets mostly jobs in Ireland. Uh, yeah. She works she in the Gaiety uh, to do oh, the great. panto. Yeah, great. And uh, does the dresses for them, and and you may you may not understand that every. Uh, item of clothing that you see in uh, like the likes of Gaty Theatre Panto yeah. they have to make three separate ones all identical so one is on the actor okay. one is in the wash and one is getting dried 
that's okay. how it works. So it's a, a huge amount of work goes into it. And um, did she meet Ray Liotta or any of the stars? They're all American stars, uh, in it? I honestly don't know. She may have. I, I'm not quite sure okay. of that. Because Ray Liotta yeah. tragically died yeah. during the making of it. Now, I don't, I think, true, you know, I, don't, yeah. I don't think, was he in Ireland or? Yeah, and uh, she, um, I don't know if she actually met him or not, but okay, uh, yeah. she was delighted to get the, the role, uh, you know, sorry, not the role, yeah. the, uh, the job there. And she was delighted to um, uh, oh, see what went on. That's Liam on the live line with Joe Duffy. And in the morning, what not to wear if you're over 50 with Ryan Tuberty. I was being trolled today at my desk by one of my colleagues uh, who dropped a story down in front of me and said, you might like this. And I looked at it, how to dress in your 50s. I said, how dare you? I'm still very much, albeit deep into my 40s, but I'm there. Um, but how to dress you? So I looked at it anyway because I said, OK, let's, let's be having you. And it's from GQ. And, and I respect GQ's fashion tips, I'm sure. Um, and the key to dressing in your 50s, apparently, for, for gentlemen listening in this morning, is to make sure your clothes fit right. That is a great tip. For years, I didn't, I, I think I was putting on boxy clothes to try and, you know, get around being so skinny. And then I realized at one point, no, that's just your build. Embrace it. And it's great because then clothes look much better when you just decide that's what you, that, that's what, where they should be to hang neatly. Smart shirts. Uh now, not a, I'm not a, a runner's guy, so but but if you are, they're saying, and you're in your fifties, don't don't go over, don't look like a fool, and don't try to compete with the kids. Just wear decent runners if you want to. Keep it color blocked. Uh, get the statement piece. Don't buy a Harley Davidson. Buy your Bellstaff biker jacket or your Elder Statesman cashmere pullover or that Prada briefcase. Wouldn't be mad about uh, big labels if I can help it. Or, but that's it. Update your suit shapes. That's good. Good advice. So in other words, if you're getting the paunch, reflect that. If you're not, keep going. Amp up the accessories. Phase out branding. Yeah, I'm a big fan of that. I'm not a big fan of of uh, garish uh, labels. And but uh, anything with brash branding. Screams midlife crisis, according to this article. Invest in subtle accessories that will get your get you recognised for your style rather than your spending power. Like that, like that. Remember, you still got it. Okay, quick. Some men panic when they hit the half. <laughs> Stop. Whether you're single or have been married for twenty years, that old adage about men getting better looking with age is true. Now you have my undivided attention, uh, and you should be taking advantage of it whenever you can. Trust us. That grey hair is working hard for you. Well. I don't know who to thank, whether it's my mother or my father in terms of genes, but I didn't get any grey hair yet and I never put an, an ounce of product in it. So I'm not sure how this is happening, but it'll do for now. I'm sure I've probably hit 50 and turned into a badger, but we'll see what happens. Um, a key, a key, a key to dressing in your 50s, erring on the smarter side while staying comfortable. Steer clear of the designer trainers of your 30s and 40s. Not that I ever had them then. Okay, knitwear, knitwear, knitwear. Make sure you have representation for both thick cardigans and chunky fisherman's jumpers. Lads, what am I wearing today? My Standoons, classic Irish Aaron for the for the uh, cold day that's in it. Uh, but thinner cashmere crewnecks, plenty of those. This is all good. Uh, fine, fine. Invest in blazers and variety of materials. Yeah, that's all good. Get yourself a drawer full of high-end silk knitted and wool ties. Okay, plenty of those. And thickening shampoo, by the way. That's not something that you wear, Dave, you're clear. Uh, but anyone else might need to worry about that. Okay, we're good. <laughs> we're good. So now you know Ryan Tuberty in the morning. 
And on Today with Claire Byrne, scams on the rise, in some cases defrauding people out of their life savings with extremely sophisticated cons. Now, very credible looking brochures and ads offering high-end investment products and people are being sucked in by this. This new warning has come from the Banking and Payments Federation, Ireland's fraud smart group about investment scams and who exactly is being targeted. Charlie Weston is personal finance editor with the Irish Independent and is on the line. So Charlie, new and more elaborate scams, that's what we're seeing all of the time. And the Banking and Payments Federation is warning now that with this latest one, it's the over 55s who are most at risk, is it? It is, Claire, you're right. And they really have, the frosters have really upped their game this time. They're putting out these brochures, um, which purport to be from the likes of Goldman Sachs, Citibank, or, you know, companies you mightn't have heard of. LGIM is one that's knocking around, LGIM Asset Management. So, you know, Goldman Sachs, big international investment giant, um, it would have a big reputation, and and the brochures are very sophisticated. Mm -hmm. You've seen them, have you, Charlie? Well, I've one in front of me here, Claire, and it's purporting to come from uh, Goldman Sachs. It's signed and has a photograph of the Chief Executive Officer, David Solomon, um, it, it's an investment in, in a fixed-rate bond investing in wind farms and solar power. And it's offering brilliant returns, 3.5% if you invest up to 50000 If you put in 100000 you could get up to 5.8%. Now, consider your bank, you'd be lucky to get more than 1% in your savings account in your bank, where there's €150 billion Euros of savings. Uh, these look very attractive. And they then will we'll start calling you up once they've sent you this, cold calling you, they'll send you that brochure and they'll bombard you with calls, emails, texts and you're right there, it's the over 55s and it's 20 grand minimum here we're talking about. You know, people who've worked all their life, we're not necessarily talking about wealthy people here, just people who've worked all their life and maybe have retired and they have a tax-free lump sum out of the pension or else they just have a, a few bob in savings, there's some of those lucky people with that 150 billion euros and, and they just want to top off their, their pension or their earnings at the end of their working days and they get sucked into these things. They're very, very, very sophisticated now. They really are hard to work out whether they're real or not. I'm just looking at this one that they're claiming is Goldman Sachs. I sent it to Goldman Sachs and eventually they came back to me and said it wasn't genuine. But it has all the hallmarks of it. It's very highly produced and very, very uh, interesting. Like, for example, it mentions that your, 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 your investment is covered by the the the, the, bond, the deposit guarantee scheme. Now, it calls it the government deposit guarantee scheme, but you need to really know your stuff to know that that, that deposit guarantee scheme is not a government scheme, it's a central bank scheme. But anyway, who knows this stuff? You know, who knows that level of detail? Charlie, is it a hard copy brochure that is being posted to people or are they getting hold of people's email? How is it working in that way? It's generally done online, Claire. Uh, you know, they're sending out these brochures on social media they're, they're just they're just ringing, ringing people and cold calling them, asking them a few questions, and then they send them, they email them this brochure. And these brochures, as I say, they look really good. They're very hard to tell. It took days for um, Goldman Sachs to come back to me on one. And there's another one knocking around at Citibank uh, again, promising great returns. And then they will just kind of get into you. And it's not somebody with broken English who's ringing you. It's sometimes it's 
uh, people with very good English, with, with posh English accents, actually, sometimes. They sound credible. It's, it's not your usual uh, somebody who's, who's just got reading off a script. They will send you uh, additional information if you need it, charts and share price performances and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And it looks credible. And people put money in and then maybe don't realise for two or three years that they've been scammed because it's only when they go to take the money out this crowd are not nowhere to be seen and they will have directed you to a cloned website that, that that's for all intents and purposes looks like a big investment genuine investment company but yes. it's not it's something they've replicated and they may even t- send you uh, links to an app that they want you to download on your phone oh gosh that's a real no-no because that'll borrow into your phone and probably will end up emptying your bank account as well as everything else so mm-hmm. look at this we just don't know the extent of this Claire because who's going to go down to the pub and tell, tell the others oh look I've just been scammed out of 50,000 euros um, you know, sometimes the banks will spot a transaction that, that the fraud smart people are, who are part of the Banking and Payments Federation, uh, they will reference uh, a person who was about to put €60,000 uh, out of a pension uh, they had into, a, into a, one of these dodgy investments. The bank thought that was an unusually high, big transaction, contacted them and, and some investigation was done and they discovered, no, no, this is just a scam, it's a fake, don't do it, do not put that money in there. And Charlie had some advice about these constant phishing scams. You, you don't click on links, don't give away your personal finance PIN numbers, your, your bank PIN numbers or any information like that. And look, if it, if it seems too good to be true, it is. But look, particularly with the investment ones, why would you invest money with somebody who's cold called you? I mean, the rules mean that a, a regulated investment firm or an advisor in this country is not allowed to cold call you with, with very limited exceptions. And if you're being pressurised and rushed as well into making the decision, you know, that's a no-no as well. Um, you know, it's, it, it's, it is just very hard to, to know. And if you're not usually sophisticated, you may get sucked into these. Yeah. So, you know, the, the guards are telling us, the, 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 the Garda National Economic Crime Bureau, what we used to call the fraud squad, are telling us that something like 30 million has been sucked out of people uh, in the last three years. But it's probably a multiple of that there because people are not admitting this. They don't, they don't know what to do. If it does happen to you, contact the bank immediately and the guardie and you may be able to get the payment stopped. Yeah, you know, Don't be embarrassed guardie. to do that either. You know, some people are embarrassed, but you shouldn't be because there's some chance that you might get the money back if you, if you t- talk about it and report it. Exactly, which yeah. has not been scammed. I mean, I got scammed before myself in smaller amounts, you know, but way back, I mean, down the years, I've been, I've talked to all sorts of people who've been scammed who contacted me, and we're talking people who are university professors down to people who, uh, you know, who, who worked in financial services. It is very easy to be taken in. Some of these brochures I'm referring to, um, it's just it's it's really difficult to tell. I was yes. talking to Brendan Burgess of AskAboutMoney.com, and he was saying he was looking at one from Citibank, and he actually couldn't tell. It looked good. He was even being redirected to a price comparison site where they were given comparisons on interest rates, and and it just it, it was very difficult to say that okay, this is not genuine. It looks like a great deal. This is a reputable company. Uh, I've heard of them before. Uh, I put my money into this. So, you know, don't be embarrassed. Yeah, about don't being don't, into don't do it. Anyone. Charlie Weston from Today with Claire Byrne. 
And it's Oscar weekend and the Irish in Hollywood were walking the green carpet for the other Oscar, the Oscar Wilde Awards. And Sean Whelan was there to talk to the cream of Irish film talent. And this weekend is, of course, Oscar weekend when the Academy of Motion Pictures hands out its awards. And of course, this year we have a record 14 Irish nominees in the running for those coveted golden statuettes. Last night, the big Irish pre-Oscars event, the Oscar Wilde Awards, were on. It's an annual event in aid of the US-Ireland Alliance and the Mitchell Scholars. It funds to celebrate the role of Senator George Mitchell in the Northern Ireland peace process 25 years ago. So, the 25th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement and a record haul of Oscar nominations for the Irish. Our man in Hollywood, Sean Whelan, he just had to be there. I think it's on fire. I think Irish cinema is uh, is just is obviously kicking serious ass. Hollywood directors don't come much bigger than J.J. Abrams of Star Wars and Star Trek fame. No one better to put those 14 Irish Oscar nominations in context. Uh, it is wonderful to see so many Irish people uh, nominated for such extraordinary work. Uh, the list is pretty remarkable. Uh, do you have any personal favourites this year? I can't say because, you know... They're all here, and if I name one, not the other, I'll get my ass kicked. So. The famous green carpet this year was a veritable conveyor belt of Oscar-nominated directors, technicians and actors, like Kerry Condon, nominated as Best Supporting Actress for Banshees of Inishirin. Jamie Kimmel is um, going to be presenting, and I did his show, so I'm looking forward to seeing him, because that's quite a difficult thing to do, to host a big, long show like that. So I'm looking forward to that and seeing the performances. I think Rihanna's going to be performing, so I'm looking forward to that. So it's not all about me. Do you get good seats? <laughs> I think we'll get good seats, yeah. Usually you do if you've got nine nominations. And a hot favourite for an Oscar, Richie Bainham, who's nominated for his visual effects work on the new Avatar movie. You've got this nomination, congratulations on it. I mean, it's an amazing film to have worked on. Oh, thank you. Uh, it's, it's lovely to be congratulated on the movie because really that's where it stems from. The nominations are great and it's a lovely recognition, but truly the work is what counts. And if people connect to the movie, that's a job well done for us. And that's really where it's at, you know. It's like getting, getting people to respond. Oscar-nominated short movie An Irish Goodbye is also a hot tip and its production team of Tom Berkeley and Ross White were loving the Hollywood treatment. Well, we've met uh, Steven Spielberg, Tom Cruise, Guillermo del Toro, just, uh, just all of these cinematic heroes of ours, you know, and to be in the same rooms as these people and speaking with them, having these conversations, getting a bit of advice as emerging filmmakers, it's been remarkable for us. So, yeah, we're, we're chuffed to be here. We pulled a lot of funding together on, on Kickstarter and, you know, public funding. It was, uh, it was a real kind of homemade spirit around the film. So it feels, feels lovely to end up with, surrounded by all this kind of pomp and ceremony, but it's a far away from where we started. And can I do a little plug quickly and say we're actually going to be playing on RTE this weekend for the Oscar weekend so you can catch the film on RTE. Also loving Hollywood are the film's actors, James Martin and Seamus O'Hara. The Craig Hughes does fantastic. I mean, you might say to a lot of people in the first portion of Down Syndrome directly come to LA, and I think that's fantastic, really. The crack has got a lot better since this man arrived, I tell you now. <laughs> Director Joel Crawford isn't Irish, but he is nominated in the Best Animated Movie category for Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, along with producer Mark Swift, who does have relatives in Kilkenny. 
But is, is Hollywood the only place you can make these kind of films? Of course. Or? No, you can make them around the world. Look, some of the best animation is coming out of uh, Kilkenny right now. We're inspired by animation all over the world. And actually what's cool in, in Hollywood now is the animation starting to kind of spread in the style and not just be so much like this Western style of animation. Okay. Another Oscar-nominated director-producer combo at the Oscar Wilds were Colin Barade and his wife, Cleonany Crowley, of Uncaline Kuhn. It's a wonderful night for the Irish in Hollywood, and uh, we've heard it's a kind of a legendary evening. It's our first time at the Oscar Wilds, so we're looking forward to, uh, to the night. Are you looking forward to the other ceremony that's going on in this town this week? The big event, yeah, the big Oscars on Sunday. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's been a, quite a long journey to get here, really. You know, we've been on the road, I suppose, on the campaign for six months now, over six months, I think. So, um, yeah, we're just really excited to be here. We got an amazing send-off from Dublin Airport yesterday, and I think half the country are with us, in fairness. So um, we're going to really, yeah, just make our mark here in Hollywood. And the quiet girl herself, Catherine Clinch, age 12. It's amazing. I mean, I, I'm so shocked. I'm, I'm really excited and especially I'm, I'm really proud of Ireland and everything it's, we've done to get here. And yeah, I'm, I'm so excited to be here. Well, I think everybody in Ireland is really proud of you and what you've achieved in, in that, uh, that movie. But are you enjoying it? Yeah, I am. I mean, it's this has been an amazing experience for me. It's been out of this world, really, and I'm so grateful, and I'm really just, I'm so happy, and I've met so many amazing people as well, and yeah, I'm just, I'm so happy to be here. And what about the big show on Sunday night? Are you looking forward to that? The carpet is a lot longer, I can tell you. <laughs> yeah, I, I am. I mean, I'm excited. I'm nervous as well, but mostly I'm, I'm really excited. Green carpet walk done. Her parents took her back to their hotel and a good night's sleep, while the adults went to a Hollywood party. Sean Whelan's report at the Oscar Wilde Awards on Morning Ireland and then later Oscar nominee Paul Meskell's mother Dervla was building up to going to the ceremony and chatting to Ray Darcy. So now we go to LA to our Oscars correspondent. <laughs> Devla Mescal. <laughs> Hello, how are you? I'm, I'm sitting. I'm sitting on my balcony, and it's a little bit drizzly. Uh-huh. I'm a little bit going drizzle, but I hear it's snowing at home. Well, well, it it did. It did. It snowed overnight it in Dublin, but now okay. we have a lovely blue skies, and it's a lovely clear oh, spring fabulous. day. Uh, okay, so, well, hopefully that'll come here. <laughs> so, are you aware that 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 they're calling you Mescal as opposed to Mescal over there? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, yes, like yeah. we're we're we're, de- we're definitely. But now, if you think about it, where West Clare is, and Mescal being the name, it probably has a Spanish connotation with the Spanish Armada and, the, you know, the mm. West Coast of Ireland. Maybe. So it could so, be Mescal. Uh, look, yeah. it could be, but we, we, we're definitely Mescals. <laughs> well, well, thanks for taking our call. What time is it over there, Dervla? It is ten past seven in the morning. And are you usually up this early? Well, I... <laughs> Just to, just to put a real life thing on, I have to take my tablets. Oh, you do? Okay, yes, right, okay. Yeah, yeah that, 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 so there's real life to, yes, to my I, life. Yes, I, I know, but this is the most glorious of distractions, is it not? It is. I, listen, listen, listen. Like, you're in departures in, uh, air, you know, at uh, Dublin Airport and there's a red carpet and there's stars and there is all this magic. Yeah. And, um, and then we got to travel kind of first class with Erlingus and it was very <laughs> no but like it is the way to travel guys I'm sorry it was pretty pretty fabulous yeah. and we were treated so beautifully and um, and what was really interesting interesting was um, 
the Irish that was being spoken because the quiet girl. Um, ah, yes. Uh, people were on the with us. So the, and Paul, my husband, obviously speaks great amounts of Irish. So I can understand Irish, but I don't, you know, I don't have that. I don't I think I don't have that confidence to speak mm. it. So it was wonderful to hear it. And and like just and and actually, you know, guffawing and having this like it wasn't teaching Irish. It was like people speaking yeah. it with this total grow. So that was really lovely. And it was actually, I'd say it was quite interesting for people, you know, other people in the in the cabin to hear it. So it was actually lovely, really yeah. nice. So that was a bit of fun. So, so you're over there, you're in a beautiful house. We saw it on your Instagram. Yes, Look at are. you with an Instagram. Yes. Uh, and, and, and the three children are off uh, about uh, at the Vanity we're Fair we're party. We're one roof. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we literally arrived and now uh, went um, and met Donica and Paul and they went off and did their thing and we came to the house and we right. did the things that you do which is unpack yeah yeah <laughs> so uh, that's what we did we were speaking to a lovely man from a radio station in Kentucky before we came on he was oh, interviewing okay. me which was a, a, a anyway Ooh, that's quite interesting but, yeah. but, but he he like it's it's over there as well the excitement around the Irish contingent at the Oscars this year it's just gone stratospheric yeah, and you know sometimes that kind of surprises me because the Irish film industry itself it has like if, if at home we know how strong it is. Like mm. I think we do know how strong it is, um, and so I think it surprises us that other people don't know that we're this this good. It's <laughs> a terrible <laughs> thing to say, yeah. but you know, like when you're surrounded by people like. Um, you know the avatar connection the like these yes. are huge yeah. films yeah. like there's big posters everywhere you know um uh, like how you couldn't think that we couldn't do it mm. so i suppose the 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 whole thing is that we shouldn't think small ever no we now, might be a small in in the landmass but we are mighty and big punching and above else. our weight now you went yeah. to the the oscar wilde party last night we did was we it did. wild we went to that last night <laughs> it was listen the coronas were playing right. um uh, eve hewson uh Kerry condren um jesse buckley and clean and column got uh and awarded for so the quiet girl um eve hewson let's see carrie and then jess they all spoke and they were all awarded from people who knew them and so that was actually quite lovely and they had lovely speeches because they kind of spoke about um how they got to where they were mm. and what made them become the magicians um behind you know for us to look and be transported into other worlds of course so that was quite nice y- your son lovely. paul is one of those magicians now he, yeah. Well, yeah, I suppose, yeah, the, he is, yeah, and Colin Farrell and all yeah. these wonderful other people, yes. You were yeah. in with us yeah, last week, uh, Darvel, yes, and I, I didn't get a chance, because we couldn't find this interview. I, I We, we mentioned that we'd Hidden three years ago. Vault, so you had somebody run around. Yes, we did, <laughs> you did. Oh, and we goodness. found the interview that we did with Paul three years ago, right? Oh, and just, I'm we, interested. We'll just play a little bit of it. So it, it was it was oh, about you know, what, what he... what. What he aspired to? What was his dream? What was his ambition? Okay. Okay, so here okay, we go. Okay. Your your son, Paul Mescal. My son, I, my son. I <laughs> kind of worked with, working with Lenny was kind of one of those at the start and it would still be the dream to work with him again. And I think it's, I'm kind of influenced by films that I see this year. So for example, Marriage Story, Little Women, Greta Gerwig, No Bound, like all those kind of films that you're seeing young actors like Florence Pugh, Timothy Chalamet, stepping up and same age as you yeah, yeah. Uh, which is both terrifying <laughs> like I always find it deeply upsetting when you're looking at people like that and you're like god I wish I could do that I wish I could do that but it's it's just about being put in those kind of positions of pressure and seeing how you 
respond. exist and respond. Yeah, and uh, as we see, he has responded uh, more than adequately. Yeah, yeah. It, it's your no, first time in no. LA, Dervla. Um, We've never been this far away from home. Right. I was telling that to the people in the in, in Aer Lingus when I was getting on the plane. I said, I've never gone <laughs> this far away, ever. Uh, and it's funny, people kind of looking at you and I'm going, yeah, no, we just never, like we went to New York when Paul was two. That was the last time we did that kind of trip. Um, and then, you know, no holidays mm. for many, 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 many years. Children are expensive. Um, Children are expensive. No, well, actually, no, I think that's wrong. I think right. the choices we make, okay. the choices we make, yeah. the decisions we choose. So I don't have any regrets about not doing any of that because the choices I made have created a different life, just a different path. We just yes. took different, yeah, different yeah, yeah, decisions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, now, before yeah. we get to the Guna, um, so oh. when you were in, we, we, uh, Ellen went down to uh, uh, School Eoch, which is Paul's yes. old primary school, and they got the lovely sing song and the lovely uh, wishes, best wishes, and oh, the card, yeah. and oh the card. And, and we the didn't, card, and we, the card. Go on, tell us came, about the card. As I told you, well, I did say at the very moment that when I got home, um, so we, what I did was, when I knew I was coming, I went and bought matching <laughs> matching luggage. It's kind of always been a dream because right. I always perceived people with matching luggage were pretty, pretty amazing. <laughs> so we actually got matching because normally I'm usually, if I go anywhere, I'm usually saying, can I borrow your suitcase? Do you need your suitcase? I'll borrow it. So anyway, I went and bought matching luggage for myself and Paul. So we have matching luggage. So the first thing I did was I actually put that card into the bottom of the thing so it wouldn't get crumpled because yes. it's so beautiful. And it is in the front hall of the house and uh, so we hadn't seen him until he came back with Nell and Donica. And um, so he saw it and he just went, are people really? And I said, yes, these are your people. And they really, really, really are wishing you well. Yeah. So he actually stood there for a moment. And he opened it up and he looked at it. So it's in our hallway. So oh, anytime that's, anybody that's, comes in to see it. That'd be so, so lovely um, for everybody do, I will do a video of it. Yeah. Yes, I will. And yeah. I, I will do a video of it. But it is there. I can tell you that. Oh, that's, that's, that's great for uh, uh, Gail's yes. Eoch to know that he's had it oh, in his hand. He's read their messages. That's great. Oh, he's read their messages. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. So, yes. so you're his yes. plus one, Dervla. I am his plus one. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty magical. Yeah. Daryl yeah. Meskel on the Ray Darcy show. And in the morning, Rada trained actor and Claire Castle woman Eva McMahon was talking to Ryan Tuberty about her very successful career voicing audiobooks. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, if you wouldn't mind, where you're from and where are you now and uh, how did you get to be where you are today? Uh, well, I'm from Clare originally, Great. and I'm living in London now. I came over many months ago to go to drama school. Um, so I'm an actor and um, just got into audiobooks, I suppose, about 15 years ago, something like that, um, through my voiceover agent. And uh, back then it was sort of the occasional book, but now um, the industry has just exploded, so... I'm really busy with them these I'm, days. I'm glad to hear you. You have a voiceover agent. I, I presume is that your general acting agent, or is that specific to this particular gig? Uh, specific to to any voice work, be okay. it, you know, radio or ads or cartoons or video games, anything that requires a voice and not a face. And when you did your first one, don't do you remember your first audiobook, or is you know does that have a special you know, place I in your don't heart? No, okay. So long ago now. That's all right. But when you did your first one or two. Did you feel a natural affinity to the job? Uh, did you think, oh, I really enjoyed that? Or was it another day at the office? Oh, no, no, I love it. I mean, I've always, since I was a kid, you know, uh, reading books, sort of imagined doing them out loud and performing them. I suppose I've always had that in me. 
And uh, I come from a family of five kids and we had a lot of non-car journeys. So you can imagine we needed to be entertained. So my dad used to put stories on tape for us. Great. So he was he was my first experience of audiobooks, I suppose. Did he read the stories himself or just buy tapes? He did. Did No, no, he read them himself. Yeah. So it was his voice. What a lovely thing to do. Yeah, yeah. It's a shame we don't have the tapes anymore, but I still remember the stories. Yeah. Oh, that's so sweet. And and, uh, he'd be reading the books or was he making up the stories? Uh, no, he, he he read books, I think. Into yeah. a tape. Sort of unusual, yeah, ones. Not not your regular sort of uh, um, fairy tales and whatever. I remember very, very strange stories indeed, but read with great animation. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. I like the sound. <laughs> so you are indeed your father's daughter because here you are doing yes, the, 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 the audiobooks. <laughs> Uh, tell me a little bit the, the how it works. You 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 get sent uh, obviously a, a copy of the book before it's it's uh, published pu- properly. Um, how, what's mm-hmm. what's what's your routine? Uh, well, yeah, I spent a few days prepping it, so I work on an iPad and I annotate as I go. So I'll use different colours to highlight any um, character information, like where they're from, how old they are, what their accent might be whether they've been to university, whether they've travelled, anything that might give you a clue as to their voice, even physical descriptions mm-hmm. like, I don't know, having a, a beaky nose or something like that, that might affect the way that they speak. Um, and also any, um, I suppose, geographical information or if there's any, I don't know, French or Bulgarian or whatever there might be. So I'll highlight all of that. And then when I finish the book, I'll go back through those and make notes on old-fashioned paper. Nice. And uh, also just annotate uh, who's speaking when for the dialogue and maybe grouping phrases together or if there's a list, you know, preparing yourself for that so that it goes smoothly. So that's kind of about that, three it. days. That, that sounds about right. Do, do, do you do accents then if you come across one? <laughs> I try, yes. So, uh, yeah, it depends on the book. I mean, sometimes it's like a, a one-woman show with 40 different characters. Yeah. So, yeah, so obviously, you know, that's part of the research as well. If it's something I'm not familiar with, I'll, I'll look into that. Like I had to do a lot of New Zealand in a book recently. And um, so I looked up their, their ex-Prime Minister and uh, stole her voice for that. Jacinda Ardern, you listened to her speeches and thought, OK, because it's a yes, very different yes. type of, of twang than the Australian accent, isn't it? There's a very it specific yes, uh, very way so, they speak. You know, yeah. Yeah, so you just kind of make notes and go through all the vowel sounds and sort of translate them for yourself. Okay. I wonder, is that is that a fairly uh, tricky water sometimes if you're doing an accent that you don't want to be offending somebody and saying, oh, they're, they're giving out to you? Yes. Yes, it is. I mean, recently, recently I just I did a lovely Joe Spain novel. Oh, great. Don't yeah. Look Back. And it's set on a Caribbean island. Yeah, I read it. I read the preview um, of it so I can talk to you about oh, that. Oh, yeah. Go oh, on. fantastic. Yeah, it's so, great. Yeah, I got in touch with, with Joe to ask her about accents because, yes, it, it can be a bit icky, you know. Um, but she said it was a French Caribbean island, so go for the French sort of thing. And you go, OK, that's fine. OK, so you, you know, didn't I'm, go Jamaican or something like that. No, no, which would end up sounding like, I don't know, Pakistani cork or something. Or Welsh. It, so, it's strange. Yeah. All the, it, it, <laughs> yeah, it's always, it, yeah. Whenever you do a Tom Jones impression, if, if if one does, it can end up people saying, oh, that's very funny Jamaican accent. You go, no, it's Tom Jones, but Welsh. It's yeah. just weird. And then it can go into Kerry. You know, it's a strange. Yes, absolutely. Strange yeah. thing. I'm, sh- I'm sure there's something in history that links them all. Well, you're dead right. I bet you there is. Um, but uh, mm-hmm. anyway, just uh, as an aside, Joe's book, we'll talk to her about that in May when it's out, but it's a 
great old book. Oh, fantastic. Did you enjoy oh, it? Yeah. Like, because that book is so full of twists and so forth. Do, do you kind of get, kind of find yourself really enjoying the book, even though you're meant to just be reading it? Oh yes, absolutely. And then you kind of, you know, I, I enjoy it more when I'm reading it out loud. I think mm. because then it's more about storytelling and character, whereas um, especially with a thriller like this, um, your prep is a bit more forensic, if you know what I mean. You know, you're looking for the facts, but reading it out loud and, you, you know, if you're working with an engineer who hasn't read the book, it's lovely to see them guess. Oh, yeah. And, and see the twists kind of, you know, pull them in and get them hooked. And Aoife spoke about some of the Irish author's books, starting with Sally Rooney's Normal People. Well, across the generations in the studio, yeah. you know, technicians, engineers, producers were going, oh, my God, this is brilliant. You've got to read this. Wow. Okay. You know, it just created a, a buzz rather than it was just another day in the office. So if you if you did, did you read Marion Keyes, the, the Woman Who Stole My Life? Yes. Yeah. Yes, I did. And I presume, obviously, with all Marion Keyes books, there's, there's gent, the gentle and not so gentle humour, but also very serious storyline, plot lines. So when, but when you're having the fun in a book like that and then you go into Sally Rooney's mm-hmm. books which are much more serious affairs conversations yes. with, with friends yeah. and A Beautiful World Where Are You or Normal People um, do you mm. find you have to adjust your tone I mean almost like play a different game of football on, on a Saturday afternoon because of the team you're playing Yes yeah for sure and you know that's a generational thing as well and um, her books are this they're very interior so uh, and very vulnerable. Right. So, um, yeah, funnily enough, I had to re-record a couple of hers. So, you know, ones that I'd done maybe five years ago, I, I came back to. Why? And that, that was interesting. Uh, I think rights reasons, I don't know. Oh, OK. But, it um, wasn't uh, but to do with yeah. the voice or anything like that. No, no, I hadn't messed up the first time. <laughs> no, I, I, didn't, um, I didn't think you had. I, what, <laughs> what, what of your books, are there any that stand out that people say to you, oh, Aoife, I just love the way you did that or I really enjoyed that, that, that interpretation? Um, yeah, I, I do. I mean, people do reach out through social media mm. and, um, you know, say, oh, well, I've just spent eight hours listening to you. I always feel sorry for them, but it's, it's always lovely to hear. So, you know, feedback, because you're working in such isolation, especially if I'm recording in my home studio. It's just me in a box, basically. Mm. Mm. So to know that it reaches actual people out in the world and that it's appreciated is lovely. Uh, you recorded Vicky Phelan's book, uh, Overcoming. Yeah. Um, I mean, such mm-hmm. an emotional book and such, such a yeah. extraordinary person, as you know. Um, yeah, she w- w- Did you have a chance to talk with Vicky before that or did you... Think- yes, we we were in touch. Yeah, she was, um, as, as the nation knows now, just a very warm-hearted, beautiful, generous human being. Yes. And uh, equally so with me when I needed help and guidance. You know, she she was there and very... Very generous with her time. And again, you have to put have a different uh, style when you're reading a book like that, which is so so deeply emotional, such a profound story. Yeah, it's it's a big responsibility. So um, you know, and and an honour to be able to tell a story like that as well. You know, to be one one small part of getting something so important out there into the world. Eva McMahon from the Ryan Tuberty Show. Now, terms in mental health can be confusing. So in the morning, chartered psychologist Dr. Emma Farrell was talking to Claire Byrne about the differences between psychiatry, psychology and psychotherapy. Well, psychiatry is a branch of medicine that's concerned with understanding, diagnosing and treating uh, disorders of the mind. 
psychiatrists and medical doctors who complete their degree and internship as any other doctor would, but then go on to specialise in psychiatry. They typically work in or are attached to hospitals and they are really concerned with the diagnosis and treatment of mental illness. They can refer to another member of a multidisciplinary team such as a psychologist or a psychotherapist. But I think the thing that people often think when they think about how psychiatry is different from the others is that psychiatrists are medically trained and they can prescribe medication. And that is a difference. People are not mistaken about that. They can prescribe medication. Psychiatrists can. So then move on to psychology and tell us about that. Yes, the psychology is also a scientific discipline and it's concerned too with the human mind and behaviour. Psychologists study how people think, how they act, react and interact. They can diagnose mental disorders too and they treat these disorders using a range of psychological approaches, many of which overlap with psychotherapy. So you can see how it can be a little bit confusing at times. So psychologists aren't medically trained and only a small proportion of people who actually do psychology degrees go on to work with people who might be in distress or vulnerable. Psychologists can specialise in a number of areas such as clinical psychology, counselling, forensic educational and and occupational psychology. So there's lots of different types of psychologists too. Okay, so if the vast majority of them don't work with people who are in distress on a one-on-one basis, what are they doing? Well, the vast majority of people who do psychology degrees, so a lot of people do psychology degrees and it can take you into all sorts of really interesting areas. So for example, I'm a psychologist, but I don't work with people in distress, but that's where my research lies and all of my teaching. And there's people who do psychology degrees who find it very helpful when working in human resources, for example, Mm -hmm. or a whole range of things. I'm sure many of your colleagues here in RTE started out in psychology too. I mean, you, you can imagine you could go and work in marketing, for example, yes, exactly. and, and that would be of, of an advantage to you. So psychotherapy, which you've mentioned as well, and this is another discipline we want to touch on, Emma. Yeah, absolutely, Claire. So psychotherapy is sometimes referred to as talk therapy and really is concerned with helping people identify and change troubling emotions, thoughts, behaviours, just difficult situations um, in your life. I I spoke to a colleague during the week, Dr Lucy Corcoran, who's a psychologist and a psychology lecturer, but who's also training to be a psychotherapist. So she's quite well positioned to describe the differences between psychology and psychotherapy. And the way she put it to me was that psychology starts off with a diagnosis and then tries to suggest a particular psychological intervention based on that diagnosis. I mean, there's a lot of variation within that. But psychotherapy is much more concerned with providing a space for exploration, for exploring what's going on in a person's life. And it's that relationship, that psychotherapeutic relationship that's key. And it doesn't it isn't quite as prepackaged or um, straightforward as a more psychological intervention can be. So in order to be a psychotherapist, do you need to have a foundation in psychology and a qualification in psychology? Not always. Many do. Um, but it is possible to specialise in an area of psychotherapy without having psychology first. Mm-hmm. And there's so many different types of psychotherapy. I think some of your listeners might be familiar with things like cognitive behavioural therapy, but there's psychodynamic therapies, integrative therapies, family and systemic therapy. So there's so many different forms of psychotherapies that often you have to spend a lot of time specialising in your your particular area. So let's talk about some of the perceptions around all of Mm. this because people might be forgiven for thinking that psychiatry is for the more extreme mental illness, psychotherapy perhaps for the least extreme and psychology somewhere in the middle. Now, how far off are we if we make those assumptions? I would say you're, you're not far off in the sense that 
that kind of stepped model of care is fundamental to how our policies certainly work when it comes to mental health. So you might, as you say, begin with some psychotherapy to explore issues. But then if you need more um, kind of intervention at a higher level, you might be referred to psychiatry or elsewhere. But it often isn't that straightforward or it doesn't work quite as linearly in, in real life. Um, I research people's experiences of distress and I'm particularly interested in hearing about their lived experience with any predefined gender set of questions. So people have shared stories that have followed that more stepped model. But more often than that, the, the paths to and through support are much less linear. Dr Emma Farrell from Today with Claire Byrne. And in the afternoon, oh, I got that weird feeling that I haven't got me ecker done. Ray Darcy was remembering the Sunday evening event that was Glenrow. Oh, 40 years ago this year, Glenrow hit our screens for the first time and Sunday nights would never be the same again. The show ran until 2001. Uh, today we're celebrating the su- success um, and legendary status of Glenrow. And with me in studio we have Mary McAvoy, who played Biddy Byrne. How are you doing? Hello. Hello. <laughs> on show. On show. <laughs> Geraldine Plunkett, who played Mary McDermott Morn. On show. Double barrel name, look at you, very posh. And Isabel Mann, who played Michelle Malone, the barmaid. That's right, that's me. Barmaid, bar, barmaid's fine. Bar person. Bar person, bar person. sorry, no, sorry. Barmaid then. Bar yes, barmaid yes. Bar person then. now, yeah. bar person yes, now. Yeah. It's great to have you all here. It's great to be here. So many of us are not here. I couldn't believe it was 40 years. My goodness, yeah. That was a wonderful cacophony there. That, 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 that's 15 seconds. I love it. Look at a hen house. Yeah. <laughs> that's us. Right. Um, so you were in it from the start. I was. Uh, Mary McAvoy. Uh, so Geraldine was. And, and you joined the second year. I joined in season two. Well, can I ask you then, we go to you first then, what was it like? Because, you know, they were established as a cast uh, and was very successful by the end of the first season and you were coming in. I know, I know. Well, you see, Mary and I were in the gate and we'd we'd been, we'd kind of started our theatre career. Mary was in the Chastitute and then we were both in semi-private. So it was was the Philanderer. The Philanderer, sorry, the Philanderer. Beg your pudding. Excuse me, it's George Bernard Shaw. Beg your pudding. I've never been as posh since, but anyway. Sure, listen, I won't take that from your mare. But anyway, so, so your mare had been in the show when she got the job. So this was like, woo, woo, you know, everyone was a big deal. So um, I was kind of joining the show, you know, having kind of, kind of, I suppose, by proxy being there from the beginning. But it was a big show and everyone was talking about it. So it was very exciting to yes. be joining. It was a big deal. Now, now, for people who are interested in history, there was the Reardon's. And then there was Bracken. Yeah. And then came Glen Rowe. Yes, yeah. they were all spin-offs of spin Were they? Yes, yes. they were. Yeah. And there was yeah. a spine going through all three. Mm. Yeah. Had, had, had Miley mm. been? No. no. Um, Gabriel Byrne played Pat Barry in The Reardons. Right. And then Pat Barry was in Bracken. Bracken. It was in Bracken. Yeah. And Miley and Dinny were in Bracken. Bracken. Uh-huh. And then... Miley and they Dini got their own show, yeah, so, yes, to speak. Yes, so to speak. Yes, yes, yes. 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 So came back and did an episode yeah, of. He did. He did. Oh, he did. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're talking about people coming back and all that. Brendan, does anybody remember Brendan Leeson? Yep. Yes, I do. Yes. 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 Oh, yeah. Yes, I do. I have no memory of Brendan Leeson at all. No. He wasn't in it for long, was he? No. No. He went on to Pastor's Green episodes or something. Yeah. I think Lucy Fiona's 
boyfriend. Boyfriend. That's ah. right. Lucy Ryan yes, Welsh. Did. Yes. Uh, uh, and, 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 and Isabel, you would have encountered most people. You would have been mm, in the scene with most people because mm, you were in the bar. Mm, 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 mm. I was in the bar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, I actually don't remember him that well. Right, yeah. Don't quote me on that. But um, No, it's, yeah. it's out there now. So yeah, it's yeah. too late. People would <laughs> <laughs> Ireland heard me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's radio works. Yeah, I know, Ray, I know. I do remember him. And actually, it was round about the same time as he played Michael Collins in the television series. That was before the the film later on, you know. Yes, yeah, he played yes. Michael Collins in the television yes. six part or whatever it was series. I think <clears> I can't remember. And, and not to talk too much about Brendan Leeson, but, but he interestingly played both Michael Collins and Churchill. Didn't he play Churchill? He did play again? Churchill. Yes. He yeah. did. And he did. Trump. Donald Trump, yeah, he played Donald Trump as well. Yes, yes, yeah. yes, he did. <laughs> there you go. Yes, he did. <laughs> this would be great. Yeah, I'd listen, if, we're, if they're having a pub quiz, you know, we, we, we'd you. make a great team, wouldn't <laughs> we? We would. Yeah, you would, right. <laughs> so, so who was, like, who got top billing? Who? Joe Lynch. Joe, Joe, Lynch. Joe Lynch. Oh, right, right. And then, then, and then Mick. Mick. Poor mm. Mick. They both rest in peace. Yes. And then Mary yeah. as Biddy. Yeah. And then I think it was Emmett and myself. And, yeah, right. and, 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 and Bobby Carrickford. And Bobby Carrickford. no longer with us. No. And, and Mary, so just remind, remind us then of the, the, the storyline. Uh, 1983, you were, as Biddy, you were single. I was single. Yes. And we were, live, we, had, we were in the first... The first uh, location, which was up in, um, it was up. Kilcool? No, it wasn't Kilcool. It was uh, uh, Newtown Mount Kennedy. Right. Newtown, yeah. And uh, it was the uh, Douglas's farm up in Newtown, right. Newtown Mount Kennedy. <coughs> and I was, and then Miley and Dinny bought a holding next to to Mary yes, and Biddy and right. you had Michal Brian was Brian was your was husband, husband in it uh-huh. and he had Carol, a farm remember yeah, yeah Carol yeah. was his sister but yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so so that's and then they were both how would you how were you first introduced and was there because obviously I, there I had to be I can remember some first of all can I just tell you right. I decided when I was when I was on the, going to be on the telly at that time the last tango in Paris was kind of still fresh in the memories and I loved your woman's hair Maria Schneider's <laughs> <laughs> So I decided I was going to look like Maria <laughs> So I got the hair done and I ended up looking like somebody like with the perum, the perum. Yeah, yeah. So it was the 80s. I came in with this. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but it was, oh my God. No, anyway, it was lovely. but um, a bit, what was, there was a word you said to me, what did you think of him? And I said, a bit soft. Was not what oh, I said? Right. Miley yeah. comes yeah. in. That's that. right. I remember that scene, yeah. Yeah. Nice. Said, what did you think of me? He's a bit soft. Mary McAvoy, Geraldine Plunkett and Isabel Mahan. Glen Rose stars from the Ray Darcy show in the afternoon. And on today with Claire Byrne, a clampdown on so-called dodgy boxes for illegal streaming of movies and sporting events. Rob Hartnett of Sport for Business spoke to Claire in the morning. Tell me, explain to us what we're talking about when we use that term dodgy boxes. Well, we cling to our traditional sort of reference points and the dodgy box of old was always a box that looked like your skybox that you'd have in the room, but that was being provided by somebody who was offering similar services, but illegally. So you were getting all of the content, the movies, the sport and everything like that, theoretically, just for the price of a single payment to the, uh, you know, to the person who sold you the box. These days, that's stretched out, as Charlie was talking about there, into the online world. Lots and lots of digital content, 
you know, if you want to watch Manchester United against Liverpool in the Premier League, you're going to have to pay for a Sky subscription or you can work through some of the illegal streams that are out there. But there's an old saying that if you're not paying for a product, then the chances are that you are the product. And the danger here is that a lot of these illegal streams are funded by advertising. It's not the likes of All Care Pharmacy or the Port Gosh Energy Theatre that are paying for ads on that. If you click on a link in some of those illegal streams, you will be brought down to some very dark places. And that can be where the scams come from as well. Interesting. And some people who use those services, they might see this as being a victimless crime using a dodgy stream or a dodgy box. But who loses out if you're streaming content in that way? There is a natural inclination that if you can get something for free, sure, yeah, sure, I'll do it. And sure, nobody is harmed at all. But obviously, the uh, the sports providers, the, the media companies that are paying huge sums to sporting bodies around the world in order to actually carry that content and generate income for themselves, they are suffering. Um, you know, we as sports fans will suffer because the money that's going into sport is coming primarily through broadcast revenues these days and the sporting bodies themselves. So Sky Ireland, who would be one of the the, the chief uh, streamers in in this whole space, sponsors of the Republic of Ireland women's national team heading off to Australia in the World Cup this summer. It's going to be one of the big sporting highlights of the year. If you're watching Sky, but you're not paying for Sky, then you're taking money away from what could be going into events like that and teams like that. And what do you think it means when we hear a crackdown is coming? How will these people be caught very hard to to look at this as being the end user who is going to be caught because even though the technology might be there there are all sorts of areas of privacy so you know can a government agency look at what is coming into my home to uh, to see whether i'm actually paying for it or not probably very unlikely and very unwieldy but where the crackdown appears to be happening and this is mostly being driven out of the UK at the moment is that it's on the providers of the boxes and the streams so if the 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 people the companies that are you know that are stripping out the content and then sending it on illegally to other people and paying for that out of advertising they're the ones that are going to be targeted and cut down. You know why a lot of people do this is because it's so expensive if you have to pay for all the subscription services we had a look at it now if you're getting a lot of the sports services in Sky Sports, BT Sports, Premier Sports, Amazon, GAA Go, League of Ireland TV um, all of the rest and that you could be looking at 109 euro a month or 1300 euro a year the companies themselves don't have adapted to that like you know maybe 10 years ago if you signed up for a sky sports subscription it probably would have been an annual contract and you'd be paying monthly and you couldn't get in or out of it now services like now tv and a lot of the streaming services you can pay to watch just over a single match or a single day you can get season passes you can get monthly weekend or or just a single game pass rob hartnett from today with claire barn And that's it for Playback Daily, so mind yourself, till next time.